This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I can't believe I'm saying this. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line by the one and only Jennifer Aniston. Why did Jennifer Aniston start a hair care company? Because she was tired of choosing between hair products that work and hair products that are actually good for us. But thanks to Lola V, we never have to choose again. No silicones, no sulfates, parabens, or gluten. And of course, it's cruelty-free and vegan. The Glossing Detangler and Perfect Conditioner are my personal favorites. Not only do they repair the look of damaged hair, but they also shield it from future harm. The first step to unlocking confidence in your dating life and your daily life is feeling confident about your hair. So unlock Jennifer Aniston approved hair at lolav.com. And as listeners of Seeing Other People, you're getting an exclusive 15% off off of your entire order when you use code Seeing Other People at checkout. That's 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com with promo code Seeing Other People. Please note you can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After your purchase, they will ask you where you heard about them. Please, please, please support Seeing Other People and let them know that I sent you. You guys are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from the best of the best, Jenny Kane. And yes, there is a discount, so keep on listening. You know that feeling when you get a new sweater and it instantly becomes basically another layer of your skin? Like you wear it everywhere for everything all the time. Okay, well, Jenny Kane has become my literal uniform. And if you don't know Jenny Kane, I'm pretty much about to change your life because Jenny Kane's clothes did that to mine. Jenny Kane is a California brand with luxurious staples that will transform your closet. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. They have the coziest cashmere sweaters and iconic accessories that will elevate your everyday basics. I don't know if I wear my cashmere fisherman hoodie or my cropped cashmere cocoon cardigan more. All I know is that I cannot live without either of them. Whether it's a cozy night in with the girls, a dinner date with Jake, or catching a flight to Florida to see my parents, these sweaters are perfect for every single occasion. And I couldn't be happier when I'm wearing them because I'm so comfy. And you guys know me. I always choose comfort over how something looks. But with Jenny Kane, I don't have to choose because I get comfort and I get style. All right. So we have the discount code coming for you. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Seeing other people listeners get 15% off their first order when you use code SOP at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code SOP, S-O-P. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Hey guys, it's Alana and welcome back for another episode of Seeing Other People. I'm very excited for today's episode. I usually record a separate introduction, but because of our very special guest today, we are just going to record a quick little intro and get right into it. And as always, if you love what you hear, please scroll down to the bottom of the show page on Apple Podcasts and give Seeing Other People a five-star rating and a lovely review. If you like the episode and have someone in mind who would benefit from hearing it, definitely text it to them, text it to your whole group chat, text it to your friends, your your family, friends, your relatives, whoever, person you met last week at a bar, send it around. The more people we can get to listen, the more we can continue doing the show. And of course, if you have not checked out our Patreon, head to patreon.com slash seeing other people doing some awesome stuff over there, like bonus episodes and happy hours and profile reviews. So we will have a one-on-one meeting and I will actually revamp your profile so that you can really find what you're looking for and hopefully find someone great. So without further ado, today we have my older brother, Andrew, on the podcast, and I I think we're both a little nervous. This is going to be interesting, guys. This is going to be fun. It's going to be a wild ride. Um, hello, brother. Hey, sister. How's it going? <laughs> oh, man. 
I've secretly been looking forward to this for a while. So <laughs> happy to be here. You know, what, I think it was like this time last year when I was potentially going to do another round of dating sucks with hinge. Um, but Jonah was not going to be a part of it. And Andrew wanted to be my co-host and pitched himself over a family <laughs> dinner. Um, so no, I really, that's not I, how I remember it. You were like, where am I going to find a person who meets A, B, C, D, E? And I'm just like, uh, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair. You're right. But, um, yeah, well, I'm very excited to have you on and why don't you just introduce yourself and who you are beyond being my older brother, Andrew, to the seeing other people family. Thank you, sister. Uh, long time fan of yours. Oh, thank and, you. Yeah. My name's Andrew, uh, brother of Alana and Brian, son of Barbara and Chuck. I'm 31. I'm in the New York area for the season. You're 31? Like, yeah. Damn. I'm 31. <laughs> That's great. Keeps getting better. <laughs> I enjoy sunsets and birds and adventures and learning, talking about the meaning of life and big questions like that. And yeah, I do a bunch of things. I'm very much a student. I also teach. I'm an advisor, entrepreneur. I do some writing, speaking. And yeah, the last few years have been focused around this question how do we create tech and business and life in a more ethical way? So stoked to be here. I will qualify my intro with that. I have no background or ambitions to be a dating <laughs> I have no ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> to be a dating coach expert. Uh, but, and, and yeah, like I definitely don't have illusions that I have answers, but I've, I've done a lot of self-exploration and I do find myself being supportive to people in these realms. So yeah, it's cool to have a forum to talk about this. I've been on some podcasts before, but it's usually about tech stuff and yeah, just fun to create something with you. So grateful to be here and grateful for all the teachers that have brought me to this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am really grateful that you're here. And yeah, as Andrew said, he's not like a dating coach or a dating expert or anything like that. But I have always looked to Andrew as somebody who has so much to teach everyone. And I feel like every mm -hmm. time we talk, every time he he writes a lot and every time he writes something and I read it, it's like I learn so much from him. And it's about like human connection and love and life and how we can almost like just be our best selves with the time that we have on this planet. And so I think that this episode's really going to like just be eye opening and insightful. And um, one of the main things we wanted to start off with is kind of Andrew's journey in terms of his dating life or exploration of love and um, what that has looked like. Because obviously, Andrew and I have seen each other go through a lot of transformative experiences and um Andrew and I were talking and he really has changed a lot over the years and that's an understatement and so um Andrew I'd love if you can walk us through where you were maybe this time 10 years ago or 15 years ago kind of with how you went about dating and and hookups and relationships um maybe in college or around that time and and kind of bring us from from how that got started to where you are now. Mm. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate those kind words. I've also been learning a lot from you and I'm inspired by your growth over this time. Oh, guys, ten I'm years. inspiring. <laughs> Yay. Well, 10 years ago would really take us to the heart of it. I was, I was 21. It was the summer. I was promoting parties in New York City. 
you know, I was, <laughs> I was funny a total, to think about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> total bro, fuck boy, whatever you want to call it. And I've been, it's only recently that I really started to look at that time period of my life and reckon with some of the choices I made. And I, I find that I'm constantly making new meaning of, of my life. I, all things considered, had a really awesome upbringing. Uh, loving parents, safe environment, abundant opportunities, no like capital T trauma. And somehow through just the culture that I was a part of, I, I got really wrapped up in the whole like, fuck bitches, get money, excuse my crudeness, but just like this fratty, winning, statusy party culture as a self-absorbed white dude. And at the time, I didn't really think much of it because it was just like what everyone else seemed to be doing. It seemed like that was that was what people were people like. That was the good life. That was like what you wanted. And and so I pursued some of these experiences, like promoting parties and being the social chair of my fraternity, and blacking out a lot and going out with a strong intention to hook up with somebody and you know, looking back on that, like wondering, wow, how did I get there? Like, what was that culture that, um, created the soil for, for that type of person to grow? And, and there's, there's so much there that I, I, I have written about, I'll probably write more related to, um, yeah, developmental childhood stuff, ancestral stuff. We'll talk about that maybe later in the episode, Definitely. um, pop culture, anywho, so, yeah, th- there was a time where I really tied my self-worth to, to sexual and romantic experiences with women. You and did uh, recently mention over a family dinner that you had purchased, was it a shirt that said, fuck bitches, get money? Mo money, mo bitches. Mo money, mo bitches. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. Close. Yeah. I mean, that, that struck me and I thought it was funny and edgy or something, but yeah, I, I just loved the the validation of having a perception of being someone who got girls. And I loved playing Never Have I Ever because I got to boast about these things and be seen by a peer group. And and there was some light to it all. Like I think there there's like that cocktail of chemicals like oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin that I would get after an intimate encounter with somebody. Like if I wasn't finding that human connection with my peer group of bros, this was the safe place where I could be more of myself and be vulnerable and and be held and have that physical touch. And I, I guess I just didn't know how to go about it in the right way. And I want to read something I wrote in an essay, uh, quote, maybe I thought this lifestyle was my best chance at being the popular guy. I never really was in grade school and to earn the respect of those who I considered more cool wealthy, attractive, intelligent, and successful than me. Maybe I deeply yearned for love and didn't know how to create it in a good way. Maybe it was the best way to fill a deep sense of emptiness. Maybe the drinking, partying culture poisoned my heart. Maybe no alternative ways of being were able to break through to me at that time. So I resigned to this being the only way. Maybe I yearned to be closer to the feminine energy that could hold space for me to truly express myself. And this was the only way I knew how to access it. End quote. So yeah, I, in the back of my mind, I think I, I felt like I felt some pain, but there were so many numbing coping mechanisms like alcohol and sex and 
eventually in 2012 dating apps and social media. I was extremely addicted to Facebook. Um, there's all these things that prevented me from really sitting with myself and, and feeling some of the pain and sadness and anger. And yeah, I'm curious, like, did you, like, were you aware of that at the time? And do you think I'm being too hard on myself as I reflect on it? Um, to the first question, no, I was not aware. I mean, I didn't look at you any differently than I looked at like any guy I knew. And I think that's part of the problem where it, like you said, like it was just like the norm almost, at least in the circles that we ran in, whether it's in the town we grew up in or the colleges we went to. Um, obviously you went to college and, and experienced all this four years before I did. But even for me, it was like, that was almost the expectation that everyone had that like all guys were kind of just doing that and mm -hmm. all girls were feeding into it. And, um, you remember our parties? Yeah, we had, uh, we had, well, I remember your parties at your frat. Yeah. And I also remember I mean, like, our, house, our yeah. parties. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. we were known. Um, so our last name is done and we for over a decade had, these parties called fun at the Duns and shit went down at fun at the Duns. Like <laughs> a lot happened over the years. And again, it was just the norm. And so, no, I didn't, I definitely didn't notice anything. Like if anything, I would have always considered Brian, my, our other brother, um, who's between us, Brian's two years older than me, Andrew's four years older than me. If anything, I always would have thought like referred to Brian as a fuck boy, but not you. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I don't know. And and maybe we can get a quote from Brian on that one. But um, <laughs> no, I definitely didn't notice anything. And in terms of like, are you too hard on yourself? I, I think it's, that's a tough question because yes, you did these things that in hindsight, like you're like, how did I do that? Like why, how could I have acted that way? And, and stuff like that. But I think you also have taken so much time to reflect on those years of your life and to really understand yourself and who you are and who you want to be and give yourself that space to realize that these actions and this way that you were is not something that mm -hmm. you want and something that you probably feel guilty of too. And do I think you're being hard on yourself? It's tough to say because most people, if they took the time to reflect on that period of their lives, would feel that same way. It's just that most people don't do that, you mm -hmm. know? So I think it's that like you understand who you are and you've gone on this big like transformative journey over the years to learn about yourself and to learn and reflect on all of that. So because of that, of course, you're going to be like, wow, like I can't believe this was me. Like mo money, mo bitches. No, 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 no. That is not Andrew. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, those are my thoughts. I think on that. Thank you. Yeah, that, that resonates. And I have no illusions that I'm not a bro anymore <laughs> or something. And I also am not wanting to polarize, blame, make wrong anyone who was, is, like, is around dating, et cetera, someone who might display bro-like behavior. I think there's, there's a lot I've learned about how to, like, be the change you want to see in the world. And so I, I hope my words don't come off as um, trying to change people, um, punitive blaming no and, and i don't think so yeah. and i think also with the seeing other people listeners i think our this community is really just like everyone's here to learn and and to be open yeah. to hearing different people's experiences and that's something that i really admire about the whole seeing other people family in general um 
So I wouldn't worry about like any blame, but one question I have for you before we move on from this like whole fuck boy bro topic is like, (laughs) what do you wish somebody like, if somebody could like shake you and like wake you up from it for a second, like what would you, what do you wish somebody had said to you? Or if someone listening now is like, Oh, this kind of reminds me of me. And maybe I don't want that. Like, what would you say to them? Mm. First couple things that come to mind are just having a lot of compassion for yourself. I really think that everyone has this innate innocence and as we are a product of our surroundings, not everyone has access to great role models or experiences that can give them the space to reflect, which is really what did it for me. Um, yeah, I think we're all doing the best we can. And I think that there's there's a lot of potential to to learn more about oneself and about the world. And it's it's scary. It requires seeing, like looking in the mirror and seeing some of the parts of yourself that you might not want to see. But I think on the other side of that is is a lot of love and freedom and healing. And I also think it's uh it's 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 especially important in these times of uncertainty and complexity where I think the, the waves are going to keep getting bigger mm-hmm. and our ability to navigate them and support loved ones in navigating them will be somewhat dependent on our own development. And I, and I don't necessarily mean that in a spiritual, like enlightened, like woo way. It's, it's, there's, there's a lot of psychology research and theory on levels of adult development where, uh, without trying to reduce it, it's kind of like the ability to see the world in black and white versus shades of gray mm-hmm. and like seeing the fluidity of life and not being so attached to this is the truth, but being able to see the different perspectives that create the, the capital T truth. And we just weren't really taught how to do that. So, yeah. Well, what I, yeah. what I think is interesting is like in terms of being able to see like your surroundings and and the world that you're living in and what is like truth in a sense, like, I, I think something you said earlier is like, it, it really is about your surroundings and like the world that you're in. And so I think that's hard is like, we get so sucked into thinking that like, oh, well, everyone's acting this way or like the people you're too older are doing this. So like, that's what I need to be doing or that's what I'm going to mm-hmm. do next year. And I think it's really hard to say, even if you don't feel comfortable with it, it's hard to say like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to behave that way. That's not oh, yeah. me because it's what everyone expects at that point. If you're in that social circle, if you're in that type of society, like we, we all end up getting ourselves into these bubbles, especially when mm-hmm. we're in college or the years after. And I think that having, having a thought in your, the back of your head of like, this doesn't feel right for me. I think is a really big wake up call and is a voice that you should try and listen to mm. because if it, it might not be right for you or right in general. Um, and obviously like there's so many pressures from society and from social media to behave a certain way, act a certain way, look a certain way, but definitely try and try and learn who you are and who you want to be. And if that doesn't align, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listening to intuition. I couldn't agree more there's that silent voice that that knows what your heart wants and knows what's not okay. And it's, it's scary to leave the tribe or risk banishment from the tribe. And in some ways I feel like I went through that. 
You guys know that I struggle with confidence. I'm always my biggest critic, and when I notice something about myself that I don't like, I can't stop fixating on it. I'm working on all of this, but it can be hard. A year ago, I noticed that my hair was thinning, and I was finding more and more strands of hair on the floor every time I would walk around my apartment. When I would look down in the shower, I would freak out at what I saw in the drain. That's when I opened up to my best friend, who happens to be a doctor, and she said two things that changed my life. The first was that she knows so many women our age going through the same thing. The second is that she told me to try Nutrafol. And so I did. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. A year later and a month before my wedding, and I cannot believe the number of people who have been complimenting how long, strong, and healthy my hair looks. I never imagined that this would happen. And naturally, as a result, my confidence has transformed. I'm no longer self-conscious when it comes to my hair. And honestly, that is a huge, huge, huge personal win for me. And you guys know I'm hilariously bad at sticking with habits and taking something every day or doing something every day. But with Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online with no prescription required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure that you'll never miss a day. You'll see results in three to six months. And trust me, it is worth the wait. You can start so easily by taking their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering the Seeing Other People family $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Seeing Other People. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code Seeing Other People. That's Nutrafol.com promo code Seeing Other People. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. When I first started seeing other people, some of my closest friends and family could not believe it. Not because they didn't think I was capable of being a podcast host, but because I usually can't get through a sentence without sniffling. And during allergy season, forget about it. My seasonal allergies are debilitating and my sinus congestion and pressure has always left me feeling so sick. But luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Claritin D has truly transformed my life. Not only can I breathe better and sleep better since taking Claritin D, but I also can get through the day so much smoother. I used to have to cancel plans because of how bad my allergies were. I'd go through a tissue box a week, sometimes more, and my eyes were always watery. But Claritin D's fast symptom relief starts working on allergies with nasal congestion in as little as 30 minutes, and it tackles nasal congestion caused by allergies or a cold and also relieves sinus congestion and pressure due to allergies. It's truly the greatest thing I've ever come across and I am so grateful that I found it and started using it. Are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Raise your hand if you have dating anxiety. All right, all right, I know that everyone has their hands up, and I get it. 
I had debilitating anxiety when I was single. And even when I first started dating Jake, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I know that is not a good way to feel and that is not a fun way to date. And I get it. It can be hard to find an anxiety relief tactic that works for you. That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to a new one that has helped me dramatically with my wedding and work stress and anxiety over the last few months. And trust me, there's been a lot of it. Sunset Lake CBD is an amazing company that not only has helped me feel so much better, but they also have a really cool history and mission. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. As farmers, they believe in providing only top-shelf CBD and hemp products at fair prices. So they cut out the middlemen and they ship their CBD straight from their farm to your door, which means that their CBD is affordable and trusted because CBD and anxiety relief can help everyone and they want it to be accessible to anyone. Trust me when I say that when I'm stressed or anxious, my sleep is the first thing to go. But despite everything I have going on right now, I've been taking a sleep gummy before bed and my sleep scores on my aura ring have been through the roof. Plus, I'm finding myself relaxing more at night and being able to turn off my work brain and my anxiety with the help of their CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews. Whether you want to sleep better, relax better, focus better, recover better, or anything in between, Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use code SOP for 20% off your order. That's code SOP for 20% off farmer-owned, Vermont-grown Sunset Lake CBD. So what happened once you were out of college? Like you said, you were promoting parties and and doing all that. And obviously like dating apps started to really blow up. Like Tinder was huge at this time. So what was that experience like for you? Mm. Yeah, so I, I mentioned addictions to Facebook, social media, smartphones, which honestly started in middle school with AOL Instant Messenger. And yeah. then like all these things just came online over the next few years with, with social media and news media and then dating and gaming. And, and so it was 2012, like right when I moved to New York City after college, that Tinder was coming out. And it was honestly... Quick side note, it's not fair that you don't have an old embarrassing screen name. Like your screen name was so normal. It was just ADMAN7025 <laughs> and that's not fair. Well, <laughs> it was... I tried to make my email pimpinx50 at optonline.net, but dad wouldn't let me. Pimpinx50? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I sold for Ferrari A50 at optonline.net. Wow. Did you ever get that Ferrari? Um, I didn't get the Ferrari. Um, I'm not sure if I want a Ferrari. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, don't okay judge, back to 2012. I don't judge any of the Ferrari owners, past, present, future out there. <laughs> so 2012, yeah, it was, it was taboo to be on Tinder. It was kind of like, honestly, I think it was like the sketchier bros out there who were like the early adopters, um, at least amongst my peer group. I, I actually not done any sort of online dating before then. I think we considered match.com, OkCupid, something that like old people somewhere Mm -hmm. else who were lame and couldn't meet people in person would do. And then they would like start dating online and then they might meet in person. It just like didn't make sense. Although I had been an active user on Couchsurfing, which was this social network that allowed you to meet and stay with people while traveling or, or host them. And there had been some romantic encounters through that. But I was I was embarrassed to share that with friends. So, yeah, uh, Tinder came out, and you know the swiping swiping thing was super addicting. And then Hinge came out not long after that, and I think Coffee Meets Bagel. And I, I knew some of the people involved with starting these things, so it kind of felt like a grouper. Like this was like this 
whole renaissance of, of dating culture. And also it just added to the tech addiction. I would wake up in the middle of the night cycling through dating apps. I would have so many conversations happening at once. And it definitely superseded my priorities at work. And my priorities at work were, I think I went to 64 open bars as part of my job that 13 months I worked at a company called Host Committee, which was trying to bring our online social networks offline through nightlife. And it was a really interesting model. And I was doing all sorts of startup operation stuff. And like the perk was an hour of free open bar like a few times a week. So yeah, my, my life was just an extension of all that um, fuckboy ness and and so when this friend invited me to to india i i had no spiritual interest in going to india like many do i was just like Oof, i think i need to get the fuck out of here like i feel burnt out i feel unhealthy i am so stretched thin i i could use a break from from this life so i packed my bags went to india and within the first few weeks I, I had a lot of changes that were just due to the environment I was in. I was living with a family that didn't drink alcohol. So I basically stopped a five-year binge drinking binge and wasn't drinking anymore. And I was living with them. And I don't know, I think I had some story in my head of like how it wouldn't be appropriate to date people in the small city. So I just wasn't on dating apps. And it was, it was this little detox, which was really welcome. It allowed me to experience the, the new environment better. But then what, what was the real uh, game changer was a few weeks in, I took a few days to travel by myself. And there was this one Friday night where I arrived in a small city I'd never heard of until that day. And I was just alone. And it was as if 23 years of go, go, go and striving and constant connectivity and chasing like all this just came to this like cinematic pause and i was suddenly like free i i, I looked at my hands i just like looked like like who am i <laughs> what have i been doing this whole time <laughs> like what have i done <laughs> um it was like the record finally stopped and uh, like the computer restarted i don't know whatever metaphor you want it was just like i had a breather and I was totally like further away from anyone in my life, no obligations. I, I just had this kind of like an ego death and, and a chance that night in those next few days to just reflect on, yeah, like, what do I want? What do I want to do differently? And like, there, there were no drugs. There were no like crazy gurus. It was just solitude and a little bit of space from my phone. So that sparked so much transformation around everything from health and wellness to spirituality to purpose and wound up informing a lot of the next few years where I was actively working in this digital wellness space. If you've seen Social Dilemma, uh, we were trying to create a new type of smartphone experience that was more intentional, less distracting. We, we did do that. The company's no longer around, but it was an instrumental player in bringing more of this consciousness to the to people about how the attention, the extractive attention economy doesn't necessarily have our best interests in mind. And that, I mean, yeah, that, that's a long conversation, but, but that was, yeah, just India was this major game changer for me. Yeah. So what happened when you actually got back from India and um, 
you moved to San Francisco and you started with Cianfo and all that. So once you got back from this experience and at this time of reflecting and realizing like, maybe these things are unhealthy. Like, I don't want to be drinking like this. I don't want to be dating like this. I don't want to be going about my life like this. Did you hold that with you when you got back? Like, what was your, what was Andrew 2.0 <laughs> or the start of Andrew 2.0? How did that play out? It was, it was challenging. I wound up spending one year in Asia. And when I came back, there was kind of this reverse culture shock. I, I wasn't as interested in Tinder and going to the East Village bars for someone's birthday and festivals. And it, no one really seemed to want to hear about my experiences or it was hard for them to relate. And then I, I wound up moving out to the Bay Area for a job and out there, it was a bit easier, more of a counterculture spirit, nature connection, a bit more of like, I'm not, I don't have to go to all these things I don't want to. Uh, whereas in New York, there was a lot of social pressure to, to show up to things. But I was also working for like a really intense tech company again. And that culture I found really stifling. Um, and then I, I wound up getting fired from that company, which, which was really like a, a second gift from the universe. The first one was in India. Getting fired was the second one because then I was like, that's it. Like tapping out of, of this culture. Like I'm not going to work on anything that's not nourishing my soul or serving the whole in some form. And then I just mm -hmm. like looked around. I'm like, okay, well now I'm in the Bay area and I have nothing to do. Like, well, what am I interested in? Like, what, what do I care about? What am I curious about? And I, th that's when I started working on the, the tech addiction entrepreneurial stuff. But, but meanwhile, and actually very much informed by that work, I, I had this new context to, to learn about how different cultures through space and time think about what is a good life and what is a, a right relationship with media, um, with, with sex, with love, with money, all these things. And, and the, you know, California culture has that everywhere. So just, just thinking of some of the things I encountered for the first time, which is like much more nudity and like hot springs, um, kink BDSM, Folsom street fair type stuff, different types of dating apps, festivals like burning man, um, polyamory culture, play parties, Tantra, connection games, therapy, uh, gender bendy stuff, relationship, anarchy, psychedelics, all these things. Like no one was watching porn. Everyone was consciously uncoupling sex ed events were fun to go to. You know, there's this like idea of like, don't yuck my yum. And mm -hmm. so I just felt like, why not dip my toes into this? I, how does, how does don't yuck my yum relate to, to sex and dating? Uh, with the idea that everyone has unique desires and things that turn them on. Um, maybe I guess they're yummy. <laughs> and, um, we, uh, in, in, in our Western American culture, there's a tendency to, to judge, to, um, vilify some of those things, whether it's like Got it. in the queer community or things that might sound like freakish or, uh, yeah. Yeah. Got it. yeah. So what, what did you learn from all of these experiences? Like, obviously, 
I think a lot of the things that you just named are like things that I've never dipped my toes in um, and things that I'm sure a lot of the listeners have not experienced. So what did these new kind of like worlds teach you? Mm -hmm. It was super empowering. I mean, not all of that was for me, but I learned from all those experiences, what I like, what I don't like. I, I had lots of opportunities to understand my more authentic expression. I was actually at, at Pride in New York last month. And oh my God, it was just such a festival of, of joy and freedom and expression. And I can see why it's, it's good medicine for the world because for various reasons, colonization, um, white supremacy, assimilation, blah, blah, blah. Like we, we're very stifled. Uh, there's, there's this like conformity of like, you need to stay within these boxes. Anything outside of it is bad, um, deserving of violence in some cases. And, and so mm -hmm. California was really healing for me because it, it just permissioned me to explore the things that I was interested in that maybe I was afraid to before because I wondered what my friends would think or I told myself it was bad because of just how I was conditioned. Like I saw in a movie that it was bad or something. Right. Or it was just, yeah, I, I didn't know if it was okay. And so dipping my toes into these communities and trying a lot of things for myself enabled me to know for myself what is true and, and to relate to those things from, from my direct experience versus what someone else said with their words once. Yeah. And, and I'd say the probably the most powerful thing of that time was meeting a lot more queer and trans people and hearing their stories and then uh, wondering where I was on some of these different spectrums. There's a really amazing graphic called the genderbred person that shows these five different spectrums of uh, sex, gender identity, gender expression, and I think it's sexual orientation emotionally, physically. And the idea is that we're all somewhere on all of those spectrums it's fluid it can change and each of us has a unique combination so it was fun to just be aware of oh okay so uh there's a lot more room to play here and what happens if i try some of these things and do you think it changes at different points in your life based on where you are like had you not gone to san francisco had you not spent all this time in the bay area around this just like way more liberal and and free and open culture do you think you would have ended up like learning these mm. things and trying these things and experiencing them i do think so because some of it had started beforehand but there were probably a few places in the world where i could go as deep new york might have been one mm -hmm. of them uh berlin major cities like that and, and I think there's an explosion of, of this stuff coming out. Uh, thanks, thanks like podcasts, thanks to more community building events, festivals, where yeah. lots of lots of people are finding careers and livelihoods and in, in teaching, uh, sex, dating, intimacy, coaching type stuff. And shout out to those people. Mm -hmm. there, there's a few in my life who've been super helpful. Yeah, well, that's great. So I want to get into a little bit of the stuff that you've learned about like how our ancestors and what happened to them might impact us and um, kind of how that could also tie back to like 
connection and, and dating and relationships and the way we act and behave in certain situations. So if you don't mind kind of walking me through how that, how you started learning that and, and what you've actually learned, because to me, that's such a foreign concept and, and so fascinating. So I'd really love to hear about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I wasn't aware of any of this stuff until a few years ago, but hanging out in lots of these personal development circles, there's a lot of chatter about healing your trauma, whether it's childhood, ancestral, there are these things that we carry with us into adulthood that prevent us from showing up fully in life and getting what we want and are often some of the major wedges in a romantic relationship, but we don't necessarily know how to talk about it or meet it in a good way. So epigenetic. Do you think we always know that they're there too? Like, I feel like some of the stuff, like some of our like childhood trauma and, and stuff, like we, we're not even aware of it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it requires like <laughs> slowing down, maybe a lot of therapy to, to remember. And of course we mm-hmm. can't remember everything. Um, there's, and, and there's lots of healing modalities that, that help us access those, those memories in a safe way. And I know that you're a proponent of therapy. I, I highly recommend that as well because it's a great context for exploring some of those things. Brave the uncomfortable. Those are the words engraved on my bracelet that have gotten me through some of the most anxiety-inducing moments over the last few years. And that's why I could not be more excited to encourage you all to get a Presently bracelet of your own with a phrase that resonates with you. Presently is a line of mindfulness bracelets engraved with words inspired by cognitive behavioral therapy. The brand was started by two sisters, Lindsay and Emily, who have obsessive compulsive disorder, aka OCD, and anxiety. They realized that when stuck in an anxiety spiral, it's hard to put into practice the tools that they learned in therapy sessions. They looked and looked for bracelets that could serve as reminders to interrupt that spiral, but they couldn't find anything besides the cheesy good vibes only and no bad days types of messaging. They started presently to bring more authenticity to self-help anxiety management. And as someone who has had a presently bracelet for three years, I mean it when I say it really makes a difference. So whether you need encouragement to make it onto that date that you've been anxious about, a calming mantra to get you through a big day at work, or simply a reminder that you're not alone presently has your back. Their bracelets are so beautiful and elevated, and they also make amazing gifts. And I know because I have gifted a few over the years, and my friends were so excited to get one and have worn them ever since. There are six phrases to choose from. And if you're indecisive, there's a quiz that you can take to help you choose the perfect reminder for your anxiety. Plus, 5% of each bracelet is donated to your choice of four mental health nonprofits. I wholeheartedly love and support Presently, and I know that your Presently bracelet will bring you as much comfort as mine has brought me. So head to presentlybracelets.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-L-Y bracelets.com for 10% off your order using code seeing other people. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you're in the thick of modern dating or you're wondering if the person you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. It's called Dateable, your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. They talk about it all, from why you're choosing the wrong partner and how to stop, to how to actually go from matching on the app to getting on a date, to securing your anxious attachment and everything in between. Julie and Yue have been on Seeing Other People, and I've been a guest on their podcast too, so if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my episode of Dateable, season 15, episode 10, Is It Chemistry or Anxiety? 
Guys, this podcast is incredibly relatable, insightful, and oftentimes hilarious. Wherever you start, Dateable will help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. You can subscribe and listen to episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts every Wednesday and Sunday. So check out Dateable and thank me later. Mm-hmm. So epigenetics in particular, which is the study of how or why certain genes are expressed, there, there's a growing number of studies that support the idea that the effects of trauma in one's lifetime can leave a chemical mark on their genes that then gets passed down to generations and possibly up to 16 generations. And so you think about all the violence, uh, trauma of immigration, poverty, oppression that people have experienced in the last few centuries. It's, it's like almost safe to say that we are all walking around as traumatized people and we don't know it. And we're struggling to play well with others. And we, we can't understand why someone is so evil or thinks differently and they become this other and we, we get caught in these in-group, out-group travel dynamics. But anyways, my and your background is Ashkenazi Jewish on all sides. And one tool that's been really transformational for me has been this map and guide by a woman named Joe Kent Katz. Um, you can go to transcendingjewishtrauma.com. And to quote her, during the pogroms in Eastern Europe, which were constant violent riots aimed at the massacre and expulsion of Jews 18th to 20th centuries. Many Jews left their villages and towns in search of safety. As a result of this collective response, hundreds of thousands of Jews managed to escape the violence and survive the Holocaust. So many of us are here today because of this collective response. It it saved our lives. But uh, that violence paired with anti-Semitic messages that permeate Eastern Europe, that Jews weren't wanted, didn't belong, weren't desirable, and that Jewish safety and survival didn't matter, activated the felt sense in the body, which served as a radar, alerting families to the presence of looming danger and keeping them vigilant, ready to make life or death decisions. And as people fled, these messages traveled with them as emotional wounding. I have learned that these patterns deserve to be honored. We honor the ways they kept us protected, defended, and ready. At the same time, we can recognize that, taken out of their original context, Patterns our people once relied on for survival can now work against us, degrading our sense of worth and desirability, our sense of agency and connection, our capacity for self-acceptance and belonging. The inherited pattern of vigilance paired with a sustained readiness to leave at any moment impacts my current capacity to stay put. For example, I notice in myself a reluctance to commit to a romantic relationship and close friendship. I pay close attention to and catalog all the ways I feel unmet. I feel committed to a relationship for now, but consciously or consciously, I'm always preparing to leave. Mm-hmm. So it's heavy stuff and really leaves me with just like so much more compassion for everybody. Um, thinking about what great grandparents, grandparents went through and then passed on to our parents uh, also gives me more compassion for like why parents are the way they are and, and why we are the way we are. And I, I really resonate with Joe's experience. Uh, I think about ways in which low-grade anxiety shows up in my life and um, some anxious attachment style stuff. I, I think you've talked about attachment theory on on some of your shows. There's a great book called Attached, um, which yeah, basically talks about how the emotional bonds that are formed in childhood have a tremendous impact that continues throughout life. And even if we had the most perfect parents, we often like didn't always get our emotional needs met in the way that we needed mm-hmm. to in those moments, which then just can wreak havoc on our adult romantic relationships. 
Yeah. So quick question. So obviously this is one example that you gave about the like Jewish history, but do you think that like these, that experience is why, like, obviously it's like a running joke that like, like Jewish moms are so like <laughs> anal about everything and like have to make sure that like every, that like you're good, you have everything you need. Like, do you think things like that, like come from this history and, and why like that, what our ancestors faced, like, ha- like basically knowing that like their lives were at stake at any uh-huh. minute, making them having to feel prepared to leave or to hide or to run like from whether it was like Nazis or any other type of thing that they faced. Do you think that like, that's why we're like that? I think it is part of it. Yeah. If, if you were living in constant fear of when everything was going to be taken away again, when like you or certain family members might, might be abused, like totally. Uh, And then there's a big section of the map that has to do with desire for control. And it's not limited to Jewish Mm. mothers. Like I I feel a lot of anxiety around that. I, I want to be accepted. Um, and you know, there's like a drive for perfection, judging oneself and others harshly. I have to do more to make up for who I am, drive for security, difficulty slowing down, desire for social validation. I think that actually explains a lot of the, the fuckboy stuff was like, I wanted to be recognized and like secure my place in the village. That's now not just like the little family village. It's, it's this multidimensional thing. And I thought mm-hmm. that this was the way to do it, but, um, yeah. And I, I had this funny thing happen where I was at, I was at Burning Man 2019 and I, I met somebody and we had this 12 hour adventure. It was, it was so much fun. And then she walked away from me, just literally walked out into the desert said goodbye because she was sensing my anxious energy and didn't want to be a part of it. And I, I knew knowing about attachment theory. I was like, Oh, well maybe I'm anxious sometimes, but also maybe I'm avoidant sometimes, but I feel like I'm pretty secure. And then this was just like a huge smack from the universe of like, no, you you, you could, you should look at this. And <laughs> so I, wait, did she say, did she like explain that? Like, did she say like, this is like, you're, I can tell that you are an anxiously attached person. And I don't want to be part of that. And just like walked away. Yeah, pretty much. It, it was kind of an intense oh situation. God. Like, <laughs> you know, we were at a party. Yeah. Uh, I think they were like cuddling with someone else. And like, so in that moment, I, I guess I had these expectations, but I was also like, like right. my nervous system was haywired because I was like, wait, I thought that we were like, you know, having this connection and, uh, <laughs> and you know, yeah, yeah, people yeah. are very intuitive and, can like see through your behavior. So anyways, um, if, if, if people walked if guys left <laughs> me the second they could tell I was being anxious, uh, I'd be screwed. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we are who we are. Yeah, self-love sending you lots of, lots of love. Um, in that hypothetical situation. Yeah. And she actually gave me the sweatshirt cause I was cold. <laughs> um, and, then I joked it was like my anxiety sweater for a few months. Aww. Yeah. Oh, if she gave you a sweatshirt and then was cuddling with someone else, no, that's not cool. <laughs> like the sweatshirt signifies like this is yeah. real. <laughs> yeah. And and who knows? Like it's always yet to be revealed. Like what a gift from that person to to teach me. And and I'm, in the end, I think relationships are an amazing vehicle for personal growth because they reflect to you the things that you can't always see. But yeah, I spent a lot of time, like the next two years, thinking about the anxiety thing and looking at it. And 
going through various practices where when I can slow down enough and really connect with my body, I can, I can really feel like where in my body, the anxiety is showing up. It kind of manifests as this flutteriness in my chest. And it's like always there. And then I, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's related to this like constant soundtrack in my mind of like, I'm not this, I'm not that worthy, pretty safe. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, just so grateful for some of these practices where I, I can, where one can learn to communicate with those childhood or ancestral parts of oneself that aren't getting what they need and then nurture them and give them love. And it's almost, it's kind of like the, that movie. Uh, what's the Pixar movie? With the emotions, soul. No, not soul. Um, the uh, the, the the inside. Inside out. Out. I inside so. out. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Is it called? <laughs> inside. Inside out. Great. Yeah. And then there's there's been a handful of occasions. Great movie. Yeah. Handful of occasions where I've been able to just fully relax and the anxiety dissipates and it's like, oh my god, like best feeling in the universe. And so it's also important. I also want to say that, uh, these, these distortions, these traumas can also be gifts. So that same anxiety, um, that once helped my ancestors survive, thank God, because I'm here, which now prevents me from relaxing in social situations and feeling secure in a relationship. It also helps me connect lots of dots between disparate topics and, Mm-hmm. Um, can make me more alert uh, when there might be actual danger around me. And there's there's some ideas of purpose where it's uh, about finding the intersection of your traumas and your gifts. If you've yeah, been absolutely. through something, then you can support others going through that thing. Definitely. And, and for me, I think that that's really true in a sense of like every like almost like traumatic breakup I've had or like bad dating situation at the time. Of course, it was like the most painful thing in the world. And to anyone who was listening, who's like going through something right now, like it's, it's so hard and there's so much pain. Even Andrew and I are like still are mourning the death of our dog Zoe. And these, these certain things that are really hard to go through and you feel so much pain end up becoming the things that you learn the most from and that shape you to who you are. Mm-hmm. So like, do I wish I didn't have to go through like, uh, like terrible dating situations and like get cheated on and like experience heartbreak? Of course I wish that I didn't have to feel those things. But in hindsight, it's like, I almost wouldn't, if I could have it a different way and not go through those things, I almost wouldn't want mm-hmm. to. Like, I'm glad that I faced those things. I'm glad that I got through them because it taught me so much about me and like who I am and what I want and what I don't want and what will work for me and what I need. And so as hard as it is to to face things and to get through things, like you said, like these things can be gifts if we really take the time to reflect. Totally. Yeah. That's a really mature perspective on it. And yeah, shout out to Zoe. Best dog ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all this stuff is is so juicy. It's such juicy material for self-knowledge and for learning how to show up in the world with more love. I mean, it's like like sex is the thing that brings life. It, it, it's mm-hmm. there, There's an amazing essay I might mention later, uh, just like this idea of Eros and like the erotic creative force of the universe is like what drives evolution. And mm-hmm. 
we don't really learn about a lot of useful things in sex ed. We don't really learn how to have healthy relationships as adults. Um, nope. So yeah, kudos for creating space for these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I guess overall, the main question I have is for anyone really going through any of the things you've been through or anything that we've talked about, um, whether it's that whole like transformation that you went through from like the fuckboy Broy stage to where you are now, or someone who's trying to explore like why they are the way that they are. What advice do you have? Like, what do you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey, or, or what do you what do you wish people really knew about it? Mm-hmm. Creating that spaciousness to get outside your normal context. Maybe that's travel solo. Maybe it's go on a like wellness retreat somewhere. Get an Airbnb in the woods. Um, to, to let the noise settle and then reflect on life and your choices. And I I think there's a lot that writing and, and and therapy, like writing or speaking your truth, just like tell the truth and whatever is going to create a safe situation for you to do that, whether it's the, the blank page or the therapist or the friend, um, there's just so much that is unprocessed so much that is taboo. And I really think that the obstacle is the door, like the thing you're most afraid of touching the thing you thought you may never touch in this lifetime is, is the pathway to greater all the things you want. Like everything you want is on the other side of fear type thing. So that, that comes to mind also like taking responsibility. Like if you've caused harm in the past, uh, and it's, um, appropriate to connect with that person or people like it it might it might be useful to think about reaching out and and clearing things and um also forgiving yourself uh that self-love and compassion and yeah explore just like when i reflect on my time as a middle school like you know we didn't have tiktok it was there weren't a lot of channels for new information to get to me. So Mm -hmm. I just wasn't aware of all these different ways of life and knowing and being, but now like you can just Google anything and you can find a meetup of people who are asking similar questions and maybe have taken a few more steps on that journey. And it might be edgy to go out there on your own and do something that other people don't, but, uh, yeah, I think it's like nature rewards courage and, and there's a lot, of, a lot of healing and there's tons of these men's and women's circles out there like global sisterhood sacred sons every man project i haven't done any of them but they seem to be really supportive for a lot of people and yeah just like yeah. who wouldn't want like relationships and love and sex that's like 10 times better um yeah and that's right for you yes exactly yeah yeah, that that's a big thing. I feel like we all try so hard to be be one type of way or like like you said earlier, like to fit in and and be what society expects of you and be accepted in that way, but we are all so different. And so what works for one person is not going to work for someone else and that's okay and it's about understanding that and understanding who you are so that you can understand what isn't right for you. Totally. Um and I I think that's something that we really need to like like you said, like slow down and think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, slowing down just with everything. 
like any aspect of your life. If you do it a little slower, I think it's going to be so much better. And and that's, that's really the punchline for me on bro transformation, which like this, this podcast has made me think about it a little more. So I think there is a lot about what's happening at a macro level that like, I don't want to, uh, there's a lot of charge around like patriarchy, toxic masculinity, white supremacy culture. Uh, and like we're approaching the limits of some of these institutions that are uh, mostly like male fraternity brother led, um, which served at a time. And now we're realizing like, Oh, we actually like, what if other people uh, had had that power? Um, what if, um, so yeah, I'm just thinking about that, the idea of bro transformation and how to not blame make wrong, but like invite people into like a softening more of a, a rebalancing like in like the yang yin, like yin is more of that like receptive spaciousness resting that I think could be really helpful in this time where we've, we've just been like, go, 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 go. Like, yeah. Definitely. It's, it's good to, you got to slow down. <laughs> All right. I'm going to tell you guys a secret. Don't tell anyone. Okay. You can tell everyone. It's fine. Uh, I gave Andrew a rest gummy last week when I was home and he woke up the next morning and said, that was the best sleep of my life. I'm not even kidding. And then he asked for more and I said, no, you can get them yourself. And that's what he did. He went to mindsetwellnesscbd.com and bought himself a box, a pack, an order, whatever you want to call it, of their CBD rest gummies. And if you haven't tried CBD or if you haven't tried Mindset Wellness CBD, all of their gummies are gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, organic, all that good stuff. And they taste amazing. I think that was actually Andrew's favorite part beyond the amazing sleep was that they taste amazing and they really do. And it's like my dessert every night. I, I can't go without it. I'm obsessed. Anywho, hope you try them out. Head to MindsetWellnessCBD.com, code seeing other people at checkout for 10% off and free shipping. Back to the episode with me and my brother. Um, okay, we're going to do a few listener questions. But right before we get into that, I thought it'd be fun if we just had a conversation about like the role that siblings play in each other's relationships. And I know for me, the first thing that came to mind when we brought this up when we spoke yesterday before this episode was like what if I brought someone home and you like either for for one reason or another did not like them whether it's just you didn't like them as a person you didn't like how they treated me or for any other reason um do you like how much of a say do you think you have in that or like how would you approach me about that um I guess I'm wondering like overall what what should the role of a sibling be in a relationship? That's so tricky. I wonder what our people might have done 100, 200 years ago. I, th- I think there is a lot of wisdom in, in the cultures we all came from that, that's been lost. And of mm-hmm. course, times were so different that it was much more of a communal well, decision. Just meet because... someone, get married, have kids. Didn't matter. Well, I, yeah, there... there there wasn't a lot of choice either. Um, actually, so I don't know how other cultures approached it, but I, my sense is that it was more of a communal decision. Like parents had more say, maybe the siblings even had more say because you might be living in the same house together. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, well, I don't want to infringe on that person's sovereignty. If it makes them happy, like, yeah, I don't have to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think at the end of the day, we all want what's best for each other. 
And sometimes we struggle to communicate how we, like why someone might bother us. And then like the confusing thing is that often when we're triggered by somebody else, it's because there's some unintegrated part of ourselves that we're not looking at. And so instead of um, processing it, healing it, we're, we're putting it out there to hate on. So it's like those people who trigger us most are our biggest reflections and teachers. So anyways, uh, but most people aren't going to like take the time to be like, Hey, do you want to process this thing with me? Because I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <Imagine>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Would you, you would you want me to tell you if you brought someone home and I didn't like them? Would you want me to tell you? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'm at a place where I wouldn't take it too personally and I can appreciate the signal in someone's words. Like even if mom or dad say things that I don't agree with, I'm trying to follow this like rule Omega. Whereas like, even, like if someone's saying something, there's a signal there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't have the right words for it. Maybe they don't know how to communicate it in the right tone that you can hear, but they're expressing something that they're feeling and like feel inspired to share. So then, yeah. How do you balance those considerations with like a hundred or a thousand other considerations is really tough. And also like, I think everything is for our learning. There's no real bad choices. Like, like things about good or bad or moral considerations often uh, created by a small subculture, whether it's religion or family and the broader textures of reality there's uh there's just different ways of looking at things in terms of like how life-giving are they how in integrity are they how creative are they Mm -hmm. how how loving yeah yeah i guess guess it's tough because it's like i i mean you being who you are if i brought someone home that you didn't like i know you would try and look for (laughs) the best in them um Mm. and like nobody's perfect but maybe like clearly there's something they have to offer but um yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause then it's like, Oh, well, this person doesn't like them. Like, what do you do with that? Do you like, t- like take it to heart and, and end it because of that? Or you're just like, okay, like my sibling is going to hate my significant other. And that's life. I think it's, it's tough. And obviously like every family, every sibling relationship, um, or mm-hmm. parent to child relationship is different. So depending on like how close you are, it, it might impact what you do with that information. But it is really tough. Yeah, I guess just try to stay in your heart, which yeah. is something that we also didn't learn how to do. But I think it's really good medicine in this time where we're all, you know, we have these existential problems. We're all just trying to figure out how to get along at all levels. And yeah. I think the more that, like, the, the more that we can find love for the person that seems really different and, like, hard to be around, the, like, that, that type of thing ripples outwards. Like, that that is the grand invitation of our time to embrace the other and to appreciate the things about others that might trigger us or make us uncomfortable. Have you and Brian ever hooked up with the same girl? Oh, I wasn't expecting that question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think there were crushes like at different times or another, but, but yeah, I, as I, as I scroll through the archives of my life, I am not coming to any, (laughs) names just curious good to know um yeah <laughs> i'll have to do an episode with brian at some point but it'll be very different than this one <laughs> it'll be great i can't wait <laughs> um okay a few listener questions 
Hi, Alana. Really enjoy your podcast as it evolves. I feel self-conscious about sharing this fact that I enjoy your podcast when people ask about what podcasts I've been listening to lately. You do a pretty good job of speaking to all genders and sexualities, but as a straight male, I feel like listening to a dating podcast is taboo in a way. Although I'm sure many other guys love your podcast too. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this as someone who thinks a lot about their audience. Mm. Hmm. That's a question for you. That's a question for me, but I definitely, I, I feel like you're very... I, I feel I, I picked this question with you in mind on purpose because I feel like mm. you might have some really good insight. Um, I think, I mean, I think you just gotta like, you, like, first of all, you don't have to say like, oh, like I only listen to this one podcast seeing other people. Like, obviously you can, if it's something that you feel a little self-conscious about um, to whatever people you're telling it to, I think it's okay to list it among others and just, but explain why you like it, you know, like explain what about seeing other people makes you want to listen to it. And, uh, I do have, there are a lot of guys who listen to the podcast and I do talk to them a lot. Um, and I think it's something that like, we all do things and, and listen to things and read things that we might be like afraid to admit. But then once you do admit them, I find that you'll be surprised. There are a lot mm. of people who will feel the same way. And also like, have that interest or might want to share that with you, um, but might also feel afraid. So I think just, just saying like, oh, like this is one of the podcasts I listen to. And this is like, why, like, this is what Alana talks about, or this is what the episodes are about. Here's one that I think you'd like, like maybe even sending them an episode that you think they like would resonate with them, I think would mm -hmm. be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And adding on to that, kudos for doing something that might not be totally socially acceptable or might be a little taboo. And yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's, like Alana said, episodes that, that might be unique to their interests where, that you could share. And there's also like, there's a lot of, you know, like straight cis dudes with a public profile who are talking about these topics uh, lately. I, I've, I've actually started collaborating with Adrian Grenier, who was the guy on Entourage, who in some ways represented Vinny like the Chase. ultimate bro. Yeah, like he was the guy, like among millennials, I, like my friends and I at least wanted to be him. Yeah. And he, he's gone through his own transformation and has been talking about some of these topics related to healthier masculinity. Um, if you search Adrian Grenier masculinity, I'm sure a bunch of podcasts will come up. And, and he's not the only one, like the guy who wrote the game, uh, I forgot his name, but like that hookup artist Bible and the guy who wrote, I hope they serve beer in hell. I also forget his name, but all these people have been through their own reckoning and forgiveness and speaking about the, these things. There's also an epic podcast called the mythic masculine that I really appreciate that goes into some of these topics a bit deeper. So yeah, maybe there's some, um, tangentially related content that that could be really helpful and more approachable. Absolutely. All right. Next question. Absolutely love the pod. My boyfriend and I have been dating for just over six months. Him and his roommates all are all originally from Wisconsin, but have been living in New York City for over two years. While my boyfriend was working from home in Wisconsin, we shout out Hinge, we matched on Hinge and clicked immediately. Now, unfortunately, we're dating long distance, but I've been able to spend about two weeks out of every month in New York City thanks to work from home. The problem I'm having is that his friends don't like me. I have no idea why. I'm friendly to them and am a big advocate of guy time. Do you have any advice on how to get them to welcome me into the friend group? I feel like I haven't really been myself around them because I've always known that they didn't like me. I'm just at a loss for what I can really do at this point to get them to accept me. I just don't know if it's an NYC thing or if 
They just don't see him and I together, but our relationship is pretty serious and friends are important to me. So I'd like to fix this ASAP. I'd also love tips on how to fit into New York city as well. Mm. That's tough. That is really a tough situation to be in. And I feel for you. And I know like for me, the, my, like any partner that I have in my life, like their friends and their friends liking me and me feeling comfortable around their friends is so important. And the same thing with my friends and like, I want to know that they fit in with my friends and that they like my friends, my friends like them. So that's definitely a really tough situation to be in. Um, I think I would maybe, I think it's something where you have to really be open with your boyfriend about it and say like, I have this feeling or I get the sense that your friends, your roommates don't, aren't like that obsessed with me. Like they don't love me. I don't, and I don't really feel comfortable around them. And obviously they're important to you. So they're important to me and I want to feel comfortable. Is there anything that you think I can do or say, or do a little differently in order to make them feel more willing to accept me in, into their worlds? What do you think? Mm. Yeah. I also really feel for you listener and echoing Alana's comments about presencing this tension that you're feeling. I think, um, just, just simply doing that can, can be freeing, uh, like, like telling the truth and it's possible. I don't know enough about the situation, but it's possible there's some dynamics playing out where like some things are not making you feel safe, which are not allowing you to fully be yourself, which are giving them the idea that this person is, I don't know, like not something and then is creating a situation where you don't feel seen mm-hmm. and, and welcome. And yeah, I mean, like if I had a magic wand and all, everyone had all the resources, like group therapy for all friend groups, group therapy for couples, group therapy for businesses, because there's just so much, so much rich content to work with that can like be win-win. Like no one has to give up something usually. It's like there are opportunities where everyone can feel more connected and um, able to, to play nicely with each other. But um, yeah, it, I, I can imagine it, it's, it's hard to, especially as things are getting serious, it's, it's hard to reconcile this aspect of the relationship. Yeah. I also think it, it could be something totally about them and not about you. I know sometimes friends are protective over their other friends. So for example, if all of those guys are single and suddenly like their friend is their, their bro, their boy is in a serious relationship. Like they might not like that. You know, they might be like, Oh, well now like he's whipped, like he's only cares about her. He doesn't want to like go out and have fun or something. So it could totally be something that is like a them thing. And it's not, it's not something about you. It's just about the idea of you being this, their friend's girlfriend, um, which obviously is shitty and an immature outlook, but that's why I think that being open and honest with him about it and, and expressing this to him, it would be the way to go because you'll also probably feel better once you get it off your chest. And, and he might have some, some ways to kind of resolve the situation or at least make it a little more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Let, let us know what you do and how it goes. And then one last question and we will let Andrew go on with his day. Why do you guys seem interested? Get your hopes up and then distance after a few dates. Mm. Was it seem distant? Was that one of them? And then distance after a few dates. Mm. 
Yeah, I would, I would look into the attachment theory material around avoidant patterns. And yeah, you know, I think some of it relates to the fuckboy culture. It's, it could relate to trauma around committing, kind of like what I shared before. So many things. I don't think there's one like causal answer. Yeah. But it sounds like they're, they're not super emotionally available. Maybe they're looking for different things. Um, I think there's a thing that happens after like a few intimate encounters where um, female body people tend to, to bond more and that can be scary and, and push people away. And it sucks that a lot of male body people, like maybe they realize that, but they don't necessarily consider it when they're starting to engage with somebody. And like, mm. I'm, I'm totally guilty of this and experience it often. Um, so I have compassion for all the, all the men out there and, and compassion for the women who, um, often, uh, feel the pain of that more. Yeah. I also think it's something where like, sometimes I've thought about my dating situations and, and what I've gone through. And I'm like, Oh, like, I can't like nobody, like, why can't I find somebody or like, why does every guy like I try and date, like have commitment issues or like ghost me or whatever. And it's like, that's what I'm focusing on. But there are also times where I've gone on a few dates with, with someone and realized like, I, they're not for me. And I've had to like communicate that to them in one way or another. And so mm -hmm. I think we always focus on what other people are doing to us, but it's like dating is, is going on dates with people until you decide that it's, it works or it doesn't work. And so I think it's just a thing where it's like, you're going to go on dates with somebody until one of you decide, one of you, both of you decides that like, yes or no. And it's okay. If it's a no, it's okay. If it's not going to work out and, and don't focus on the fact that it's not working out, focus on the fact that, okay, that wasn't my person, but mm -hmm. I'm, what can I learn from this experience? What can I, what did I like yeah. about that person? What did I not like? And just go on to the next. And that, that is what dating is. It's trial and error basically. Right. Keep refining. Uh, yeah. And and make sure to create time and space to receive the learnings from yeah. that engagement because the patterns will continue until they're interrupted. And they usually have to be consciously interrupted, although sometimes you get lucky and the universe just makes it easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, brother, thank you so much for being here. You're what welcome, you but wait, what about the part where I say what I'm looking for? Oh yeah. Andrew, what are you okay, looking really for now? Well, I was going to do that. And then <laughs> I was going to ask, and then I was going to ask where people can find you. I was just, mm, cool, I was cool. just in advance thanking you. I know. I know. Okay. I, so I so what, all after yeah. all of your experiences, your transformation, <laughs> who is Andrew Dunn and what is he looking for? <laughs> who am I? Well, uh, first you can, you can find me. My website has all the links, andrewmurraydunn.com. And I, if, if people are interested in this bro transformation topic, like I, I do do some life personal wellness coaching type stuff. And I'd be stoked about talking about some things like purpose and relationships and history and service. Just like, like what, what does it mean to be a good ethical guy in these times? I think is a, is a big question. Coach Ferrari. And, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I'm trying to create a life of, of balance, of alignment, humility, embodiment, 
little less work, a little more learning, connection, rest. My, my life is fairly fluid and multidimensional, which, which is tough for some people to understand. So I guess I'm looking for, I mean, I'm not like calling in my beloved every night, but neither am I in a period of deep celibacy or just like yellow fun. Um, so I'm, I'm not totally sure. I, I, um, there, there are definitely some things that would be nice, like a secure attachment style. And um, although I haven't really prioritized the Judaism thing, I, I've been reconnecting with more over the years, specifically renewal and earth-based Judaism. And so the possibility of a Jewish person in my life um, is kind of exciting. And um, doo -doo -doo. yeah, there's, I just want to mention this one essay um, that talks about something called Wholemates. It's called Love in a Time Between Worlds by a guy named Zach Stein. And he talks about how it's, it's relatively recently that we, we transitioned from like more role mates, like people would get married and procreate. And it was more of like a cultural continuity thing uh, to the idea of soulmates, like a more romantic thing that um, involves like the whole wedding, baby, vacation fantasy. And then now there's potentially this like the next phase of that is this idea of soulmates that are contextualized by like where society is in, in, in the long arc of history. And so he has this visual of like soulmates are staring into each other's eyes, oblivious as the world burns around them versus soulmates holding hands, looking together onto the horizon, knowing that their shared love participates in the universal evolutionary love. Wow. So that inspires me, you know, Someone who's like on the team humanity thing, life adventure buddies, knows we're gonna have to be resilient AF, interested in a more sufficiency oriented lifestyle, maybe in nature and community. And yeah, I'm, I'm mostly interested in dating female bodied people, um, though I do feel more pansexual and I definitely play with gender, but don't feel so strongly about using different names or pronouns. I just like to play with them from time to time. So that's me. That's you. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been an honor to have you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Do you have any thank dating you. love life advice for me? Oh my God. For you. Um, I think, no, I'm, I'm really proud of you. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like the person that you're currently dating. I like how the two of you are with each other and mm -hmm. Yeah, keep following your heart. Yay. He likes you too, so we won't have that whole like awkward sibling thing like oh. <laughs> that, that like you don't like him or he doesn't like you. yeah, we're good. We're all good there, guys. Um got my vote. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um thank you to everyone for tuning in. Uh if you liked what you hear, or definitely five star rating and review, like I said before, on the Apple Podcasts app. Post this to your story, send it to a friend, send it to whatever online community you're in, your Jonas Brothers fan club, your temple, your church community, your family, friends, your cousins, whatever Facebook groups you're in, send it around, please. It really helps. Um, this is my like business and livelihood, but it's really just, just to help us learn more about life and love and each other. And we'll see you on Thursday for an unfiltered episode.